Good morning, good morning. Welcome again to Trinity Heights. Uh, thanks for joining us for worship this morning. Um, Julia and I just got back from New Jersey last night. I was officiating, a, or I had the privilege of officiating the wedding of Victoria Oliver and Stephen Pham. They were members of this church before the pandemic. And uh, it was a good time with friends and family. And there were a couple of friends from Trinity Heights there as well. Uh, but it's always good to get back, uh, back to the city. Um, I just want to take a moment to introduce our speaker this morning. So one of, the, one of the things at Trinity Heights is that we, and hopefully you've picked this up already this morning, is that we don't want to become parochial and focused on ourselves and navel-gazing. We want to have a global perspective. We, we want to be able to think and look beyond America's borders and, and, and what's going on there. And so for that reason, we're connected to different organizations which have been mentioned this morning, like Alarm and Celestin and the work they do in eight different African nations, like Sasa and his work in Myanmar, and like International Justice Mission, IJM. And uh, one of the reasons why we want to stay connected with these organizations and different friends is precisely because that when we are with them, when we're with them, what happens is our discipleship, our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus changes and it's transformed. It's a crucial part of our own discipleship because friends like Celestin and, and friends like Sasa, they have a different definition of what it means to be courageous and what it means to be generous and what it means to forgive and what it means to be hospitable. So just hanging around with these friends, um, our our sense of all of these different words, the definition shifts slightly, just being with them. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really excited to hear this morning about the work of uh, IJM. And so please give Jen Peterson a warm welcome. Thank you all so much. It is truly an honor to be with you. And I, yeah, I just echo that. I love the fact that you know, you are a church who's lifting your gaze in a city that pulls us in so many directions. You are going, wow, God, what are you doing in the wide world around us? So before we begin, would you pray with me? Jesus, just as we sang, would you be our peace? Those words are so powerful, even just to say, be our peace, when everything seems to be pointing other than that. Would you focus our eyes on you as our peace today? And even as we begin, God, I just pray that you would open our eyes to see where you are at work around us, that you would open our ears to hear your voice, and that you would open our hearts to be truly transformed by you from the inside out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you again for um, just having me here today. It's been a joy um, just to see Trinity Heights. Uh, I'll talk about this in a little bit, but I, I've known of your congregation for several years now, and um, the Helmies are friends of ours too, so it's, it's fun to be together today. Um, my name is Jen Peterson. I serve as the Director of Mobilization for IJM here in New York City. And if you don't know, is that my mic? being weird? Is that me? It is, yeah. Tell me if I need to do something else. Oh, that would be it. <laughs> that would totally be it. Um, I can't see what I'm doing here. Is that better? Huh, yay, I thought there was a train that was just rumbling by the whole time. Um, so, if you don't know, International Justice Mission, we are a global organization made up of, what was that? 
keep it on the side, like over here, made up of global organization, made up of lawyers and investigators and social workers and really everyday advocates for justice like you and me all over the world. And IJM exists, we exist to protect people in poverty from violence. Um, and we do this kind of in a fourfold approach. We rescue victims, we bring criminals to justice, we restore survivors to safety and strength, and we help law enforcement build a safe future that lasts. So we are really working toward long-term systemic change wherever we're working in the world. In fact, we have this audacious vision that by 2030, we want to rescue millions. We want to protect half a billion people in, in poverty who are experiencing violence and really make that unstoppable so that all of this violence that is happening doesn't have to happen in the first place. And I will say our work is long and it is hard and arduous and heavy, but it is so worth it. It's worth it when we see people getting rescued and being set free and being able to live in freedom the way they were created to live. It's worth it when we see families who have been separated be reunited again. And it's worth it when we see broken systems repaired and begin to function the way that they are supposed to. So my question is, what makes someone step into work like this? Work that is scary and hard and dangerous and potentially life-threatening. And I know you've all been in this series of Colossians. I've gotten to hear a few of the messages from it. And you've been talking about violence and progress and peace. And I think Paul is actually a beautiful example of this, of someone who continually was put in these very hard places and yet he knew what it was to live in the peace of, in the grace of Christ. Um, a couple of years ago, this was pre-pandemic, I was actually leaving, leaving a worship service on a Sunday night in Times Square. I know, like, ugh, Times Square. But I was walking out and there was this massive crowd and it wasn't like a regular massive crowd of Times Square. It was this huge crowd of people and I was like, I don't know how I missed it, but I was like, what is going on? And everybody was looking up, so of course I look up and I don't know if any of you saw this, but there was a, a tightrope stretched across Times Square. Did any of you see that? Um, so there was this tightrope from one end of Times Square to the other, and there was no uh, safety net underneath the tightrope at all. And it was the Walenda family. Have you heard of the Walendas? The flying Walendas, yes. So Nick and his sister Liana were there, and they had this whole thing planned where they were going to start on opposite ends of Times Square, walk on this tightrope. They were hooked, thankfully. I was very grateful for that, even as a bystander. I'm like, I don't want you to fall, and I don't want you to fall on me. So they walk, and they met in the middle, and then Liana bent down, and one of them unhooked. I think it was she had to unhook, and then he walked over her, and then rehooked, and then they went the opposite ways. And I was just like, my heart, even just remembering it, was pounding. I did not enjoy that so much. But I'm like, why would someone ever do that? Why would someone step into such a dangerous situation? And for the Walendas, it's part of their family business, isn't it? Like for generations, the Walenda family, um, they do this. They do these dare, these daredevil treat, uh, you know, things. Um, and it comes from this love of adventure that they have, this thrill. Thank you. I forgot that I have slides. Yes. Um, and what we didn't know from our vantage point on the ground 
is that Liana, who started on one end, she was actually, this was her first tightrope walk since a couple years prior to that. She had taken a near deadly fall, had broken every bone in her face, and this is her first time stepping back out onto this tightrope. And what we didn't know from where we were is that actually she had earbuds in as she was walking and she was listening to worship music. And so as she's stepping out, she was literally singing, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. Like that's what she was doing as she was stepping out into this fear. She was stepping into her fear, but she had this peace in knowing her identity. And that struck me. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had an invitation to step out of what was comfortable and into something uncomfortable, even something that might have been scary, unknown, uh, because you knew that's what God was asking you to do? Now, maybe that's a little bit redundant because we're all living here in New York City, and maybe a lot of us have had to do that. We're here, we're chasing dreams, um, chasing, you know, progress, whatever that might look like. Um, so for me, this happened about seven years ago. My, this is my family. Just We rarely take family pictures, so I'm going to show it when I can. My husband and I were on staff at a church in the Dallas area, so we too moved here from Texas. Um, we'd been there for 17 years. We had comfortable jobs with comfortable salaries, uh, lived in a comfortable house on a cul-de-sac. Our kids were comfortable. Our dog was comfortable. You get the picture. And in the middle of that comfort, God offered us this invitation. And we sensed that God was inviting us to really let go of that comfort and to drop our safety net, if you will, and to step into the scary unknown and partner with him in planting a new church here in New York. And I'll be honest, it was simultaneously the most exciting but also terrifying thing in our life. Maybe Stephen and Julia, you guys <laughs> understand that as well. Uh, we didn't know what lie five years down the road. We certainly didn't know that there would be a global pandemic. None of us did. Uh, but we only knew the next few steps that God was asking us to go into. To obediently say yes to God in those next steps means letting go of what you've always known. And that can be scary, but it is worth it. And it's when we step into these hard places and into these liminal spaces that we actually get to see the heart of Jesus and we learn to trust God more and more. And he actually invites us to partner with him. Did you know that? Do you know that God is inviting you to partner with him? See, from the very beginning, this was God's plan for humankind. We read in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God created us, all of us, in his image to rule, to partner with him in caring for this creation that he made. You are a ruler. Do you know that? Like, like not in a domineering kind of way, but in this image of God kind of way to rule, to partner with love and with care and humility. And it's the kind of power, uh, it's the kind of ruling that lays down power like a gentle gardener. 
And this is what it is to be human. I love what Pastor Stephen said when he said to be fully human is to reflect God's image. God invites you in this way to rule with him, to partner with him. So when you go home later today and you're checking your email and someone's like, what are you doing? You can be like, I'm just ruling over my email. Or if you are you know, in school tomorrow and you're working on your homework and you know, I'm ruling over this homework or whatever it is. Um, but the problem comes when we know this responsibility and then we res- distort this responsibility. In fact, once sin entered the pictures, uh, humans perverted this, this call to rule and began to exert their power over one another in harmful and violent ways. And this is the definition of injustice. Injustice occurs when someone who has power, whether it's the wealthy, the influential, the physically strong, when someone uses that power advantage to take from the weak what God has intended for them, their life, their liberty, their dignity, the fruits of their love or their labor. Because what we know is that God desires shalom. In every place in the Bible where that talks about justice, there is this rich concept of shalom that comes through all of it. And shalom is, is peace, yes, but it's so much deeper than that. It's this interconnectedness, like fabric that is woven together. I heard it said one time that you could take thousands of pieces of thread and throw it on a table. But is that fabric? No, it's just a pile of thread. So what makes thread fabric is the the interdependencies and the interwoven, um, that's what makes the fabric is when it's interwoven and the more interwoven all those threads are, the stronger and the more beautiful it becomes. See, shalom is the way things ought to be. Plantenga, that's his definition of that and I just love that. It's the way things ought to be. But injustice breaks shalom, and this is a huge deal to God. God's heart for justice and his hatred for injustice is seen consistently all throughout Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. One of my favorite things is that in Jesus' very first sermon, he brings this front and center as he quotes the prophet Isaiah by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the whom? To the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the whom? Prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. See, justice is the way of Jesus. A good friend of mine likes to say, Jesus, God actually has favorites. (laughs) And they're the ones that are on the margins. This is who he calls us to come alongside. Doing justice means stepping out of our comfort going to the places where that fabric is breaking down. And I believe God invites us, his church, into this work of justice, of making things right in the world. And yet when we look around, we see so much brokenness, don't we? I mean, we see so many ways that things aren't right. I'm sure something's coming to your mind right now, whatever that, that issue is that, that is so close to your heart, whether it's It's war. I know you talked about war, racial injustice, violence in all its forms. At International Justice Mission, we have front row seats every day to the atrocities of violence against people in poverty all over the world. From forced labor slavery and sex trafficking to police abuse of power to the online sexual exploitation of children 
to violence against women and children. And we know unfathomable evil abounds. And while in the 24 years of IJM's existence, we've helped rescue tens of thousands of people from slavery, it is still estimated today that there are 40 million people in our world who need rescue. 25% of those are children. So that's 40 million children and women and men, all made in the image of God, all created to rule with him, all created to partner with him, who are enslaved and who are experiencing violence every single day as we take a breath. This is what they're experiencing. And I'm not talking about medical, metaphorical slavery, like working a double shift at Starbucks, right? I'm talking about real, uh, brutal, one human owning another kind of slavery. I'm talking about Cassie, who was promised an opportunity to go to school in Manila, but instead she was tricked and forced into cybersex trafficking. I'm talking about Gowrie, who along with her husband Kumar were trapped in forced labor, labor slavery in a brick kiln, beaten and abused for 10 years, trying to pay off a debt of $400, 10 years. And I'm talking about Ron, I'd love for you to imagine for a moment that you are doing everything possible to provide for your family, but it's just not enough. You just can't make ends meet. Maybe, this is, maybe you've been there, maybe you are there right now, but you just can't make it work. And you never went to school, so your opportunities are very limited. Uh, you've even sold off all of your family land, all that you've inherited, piece by piece, and you are desperate. I mean, desperate. And then one day, someone shows up in your village, a recruiter, and this recruiter is promising you a decent sum of money for you to come and work on a fishing boat. A few months, you can make all that you need, and you will be able to provide for your family just across the border in Thailand. And this sum of money could feed your family and could save your home. Would you go? This is exactly what happened to Ron. Only when Ron arrived on that fishing boat, rather than finding a steady job and an income, he found himself face to face with violence. He was forced to walk, work 23-hour days, often without rest or food. He experienced and witnessed beatings even watching some fishermen getting pushed off the boat to their death. And unfortunately, Ron is just one of 4.2 million people who are enslaved in Southeast Asia right now. Whether they're trafficked into supply chains or domestic servitude or Thailand's robust fishing industry, reports like this of forced labor slavery are actually making international headlines and we see this every single day. And this is not how God intended things to be, is it? So where's the hope in this? I go back to scripture, and I even look at Mark chapter 1, when Jesus brings this invitation, and he says, it says, as Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And at once, 
Simon and Andrew left their nets and they followed him. Now to be clear, Simon and Andrew are fishermen, but they were not enslaved, right? They had a f- great jobs, fair wages. This is what they chose to do. But notice Jesus' invitation. He says, come, follow me. Come, go to the places I go. And guess what? It's not going to be comfortable. Um, I'm asking you to step out of what you've always known. And I'm asking you to step into places that are probably going to be a little bit scary. But I'm here in those places with you. And so I'm asking you, would you drop your nets and join me in this work of bringing freedom and rescue and restoration? This is the heart of God. Jesus invites us to come and to follow him. And I think he's inviting us still today to drop whatever it is. Because just like Simon and Andrew, I think Jesus offers us this invitation in our lives to come and to follow him. But we probably need to drop a net We probably need to drop whatever that net is that we're holding because following Jesus actually costs us something. This invitation means that we must be willing to let go of whatever is preventing us from following him wholeheartedly into these places and these spaces in order to be sent into the world, into the places where Jesus is, and join him in bringing freedom to people who are oppressed, enslaved, and experiencing violent injustice. This invitation means we have to step out of our comfort and into discomfort in order to point others toward the hope of freedom, toward the hope of new life and a better future. And this is central to the gospel. When we look around at the brokenness in the world and we see violent injustice happening, it's so often, I think it's easy for us to say, God, why don't you do something about this? God, you should should do something. Like, I see this. But I wonder and I imagine that God gently responds to us, actually, Jen, I have done something. Like, I've created you, and so I'm asking you, to partner with me. I'm asking you to drop your net, to step out, and to follow me. So I don't know what that net is for you today. I don't know what the Holy Spirit might even be doing in your own heart as you just ask, God, what is the net that I'm holding on to that you're actually asking me to drop so that I can, I can follow you into whatever invitation you have? But I do think whatever that net is for you, I think your response probably should look a lot like it did for Jesus. We read this in Philippians 2. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, God in the flesh, he stepped into our world, into this mess. He, he dropped his net, if you will, and he stepped onto that tightrope into our world because of his love for the world. I know one of the things you guys say around here is there's no idea or identity that is more important than loving the person in front of me. 
We see this in Jesus, right? Like he loved the world so much that he was willing to step into the muck, into the mire, into the mess for us. This is the way of Jesus. He had compassion. And I love the word compassion because it has, comes from this Latin root that means to suffer with. Jesus was willing, the very king of the universe was willing to become poor. I mean, he didn't have a bed to lay in when he was born, and he didn't have a tomb of his own when he died. He had to be uh, buried in a borrowed tomb. He suffered with us. He also experienced injustice. He knew what it was to be oppressed. He knew what it was to be treated unfairly. Jesus entered into injustice in order to break the ultimate chains of injustice, the chains of sin and death. He knew what that was. He didn't just suffer for us, but Jesus was willing to suffer with us. He suffered with Ron and all of the men and women and children who are trapped in the fishing industry around the world today. He suffers with the 40 million still enslaved today. Jesus knew how it felt to be whipped, to be beaten, to be abused. Jesus identified with the millions of people around the world who've been beaten and abused and tortured and wrongfully accused. He's experienced it all. And I look around at the world today and I see all of the injustice that's happening, but I don't know about you, but I couldn't believe in a God who is immune to injustice and suffering. I don't think I could go there. But Jesus actually entered in and experienced suffering and injustice in the flesh. And this is what makes the cross so scandalously beautiful because he suffered that ultimate injustice so that you and I could walk in freedom. And then he invites us as his church, as his followers, to then partner with him to bring freedom to people who are experiencing this kind of violence all around the world, to be people of compassion who step in and suffer with those who suffer. I mean, what if Christians were known for that? Do you think that would change the way the world views Christians? I think it would. So I go back to that first question. What makes someone step into work like this, work that is scary and hard and dangerous? For the flying Walendas, it's part of the family business. That is what they do. And I would say that for followers of Jesus, doing justice is actually the family business. It is what we do. It is the love of Christ that compels us to step out of our comfort and into the places and the spaces where Jesus is already at work and joining him in that in order to bring freedom. At IJM, it is the love of Christ that compels our teams to go into these places in order to bring rescue and to advocate for people like Ron. See, when the boat on which Ron was working, it was stopped by Indonesian authorities for having uh, wrong papers, actually. That's when they discovered Ron, and they discovered 53 other fishermen on that boat who were victims of human trafficking. So they called in IJM to help. And because of the support of partners like you, Trinity Heights, because of support like yours, IJM was able to come alongside then the Cambodian government to find, to arrest, and to convict three traffickers from that. 
And Ron is now back at home today with his wife, with his family. He is safe. He is building a future with hope. They are back together again, and he even has his own plot of land, and he even has his own livestock, and so he is just thriving and being able to live out his dream of freedom. So this is what it looks like when Christians step into partnership with God's Heart for Justice. There's this ripple effect, and we begin to see the fabric of shalom being beautifully repaired and woven back together, and we see a glimpse even just a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven right here, right now, pointing toward the way that things are supposed to be. So here's my invitation to you today. First, I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. um, Thank you for partnering with IJM. You guys have stepped into a partnership where you are specifically partnering with our cross-border trafficking. And so this is happening in Thailand, Cambodia, and Myanmar. And we are seeing freedom come to these people and more and more we're able to work with the governments and with partner organizations in order to multiply the rescue and then the restoration and then um, bringing uh, restructuring to the government systems that are broken there so i just want to say thank you so much and some of you might be going well what else can i do like how can i be a part of ending violence around the world i know I believe that once we hear stories like Ron's and stories like so many that we hear from, we carry this responsibility to steward their stories well and to do something with that. And obviously when it comes to slavery, we can't all go. Like we don't all have that skill set, nor does it actually work for us all to go, but we can make the going possible. We can be part of repairing what is broken. And we can do that by paying attention to The supply chains, as consumers, what are we using? What are we consuming? Um, We can pray, absolutely. Uh, IJM, prayer is a core part of what we do each and every day. We come together to pray for the work that is happening around the world, and we believe that God answers those prayers and is active in it. And we can continue to give our own resources. And we have another program called Freedom Partners that if you're interested in hearing more about that, I can talk to you about that in the back as well. Um, But if you would like to talk with me afterwards or my colleague Kate, um, we would love to talk with you more and keep you informed of all that is happening with the work of IJM. And if you want to become a Freedom Partner, you can do that at ijm.org slash Trinity Heights. So you can do that. But again, thank you so much that as a church, you are coming alongside us in this work and you are truly making a difference. So my invitation to you is to simply drop your net, whatever that might look like in your life, whatever might be holding you back from just stepping out and following Jesus into wherever he is calling you, that invitation to partner with him on earth as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you give us as your church, would you give us courage today to follow you wherever you lead? And whatever you might be leading us to, even individually, God, would you just give the courage today to take that next step out, whatever that looks like? God, would you help us to begin to see the world the way that you see the world? That we are all your children made in your image. 
May we be a courageous, not a fearful church, but one that drops our nets, one that runs into the mess, one that lays down our power just as you did. So God, we offer all that we have to you, whatever that looks like. We want to live lives of complete obedience and surrender to you and to your will. It's in the powerful, merciful, and rescuing name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.